So I got a question for you, Corey. What if in the world of addiction and recovery, we did a better job of tracking patient outcomes? So what I mean by that is right now we have, we have, there is a lot of kind of scattered information in that there, there's been some attempts to kind of put all the data together and there's been some longitudinal studies where they follow people into, into a treatment center and then out on the other end. And uh, I've seen ones that go for as long as five years, but uh, a common theme to some of these, not all of these is that the only outcome variables that the only thing that they're actually tracking is whether or not drug use has stopped and the, the person is abstinent or not. That's, that's kind of uh, as simple as it is for some of the, uh, the treatment centers. Then some of the newer studies you're seeing uh, some more kind of complex tracking where they're, they're actually measuring variables like, uh, they get a baseline of of drug usage, say a person's using this much cocaine per week, and then they follow him or her down the line and see if that metric drops like they want it to do. Yeah. But with all this stuff, um, I see an awful lot of, it looks to me like there's many studies that are kind of, for one thing, there's there'll be blatant conflicts of interest. So it'll be a study done by the Association of Treatment Centers on the effectiveness of, of treatment centers. So obviously, whatever that study determines can't be taken quite as seriously as a, a study that, that didn't have a conflict of interest like that. No. And I don't see a lot of well-funded, uh, well-conducted studies in this area. But, you know, when that, I think you probably had the same experience. Maybe your experience was a little bit better, but when I was an intake patient and when I was assessed, the goal, I I really wasn't asked about what I wanted out of treatment. I was just told that I had a problem and this was what was going to fix it. And by fix it, they mean we're going to stop you from using any kind of mood altering substances for the rest of your life. So if we adjusted that, I think, based on what we know about treating people as individuals, that seems to have an effect, right? If you're even, uh, if you're, if we were able to design treatment programs based on the information that we got through these processes, then maybe things would go better. I don't know. What do you think? Uh, Yeah, I agree with you. I, I, I wonder what would we need to measure what would the the actual factors be that that someone on our side would want measured? So, you know, for me, quality of life would look like it would look like social engagement. It would look like a, a, some sort of a sense of of balance. It would look like um, that I'm, you know, not just meeting meeting the the basic needs of my um, of my daily living and paying my bills, but that I have a sense that I'm that I'm like thriving and and uh and flourishing within the things that i want to do and need to do um yeah so some of those things are hard to measure exactly i think you're talking about subjective measures um which are definitely more harder or (laughs) more harder harder to track in this case than objective measures like i mean objective measures can be as simple as is the person still alive 
Yeah. And, and, um, or did has the person gone back to work in a healthy, productive way, you know, for those of us who, who are off work? Well, as anyone who's listened to my episode or other episodes that we've, we've done and talked about, there are so many factors that can play a role in, in that for, for individuals, things that change what the outcome of, of a employment look like or, or yeah. the career trajectory. Uh, but I, I think it's a good question to, to imagine asking the people on our, our side of it. Um, and I think I was asked that question. I was just trying to recall if, if I, if that, if I was asked that when I was um, completed sort of the intake part, this is not, we're not talking about the, the part with the IME and with, with the addictions doctor, but the part where, you know, as you enter into a treatment program. And I, I think I might've been asked about like sort of what my own goals were, but, but it wasn't asked to me like what returning to work would look like, what norm, normal life outside of the program once it was completed would look like necessarily. Um, well, at least you were asked uh, your opinion on a few of those things because yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know it would have been hard for me at that time to maybe articulate in that moment, because I, you know, it's kind of like you're, you're a little bit thrown off by the whole process. You still can't wrap your head around what's happening really. And then, um, yeah, before you know it, you're kind of out the door and headed to uh, treatment. But if you were given some kind of a heads up, like if you were provided a, a, a base point before you, you went into your IME or before you went in to talk to a, a specialist where you were allowed to, you know, you were given some time to think about, um, you know, how is your addictive behavior impacting your life? You know, it, what, uh, like a, like a cost benefit analysis, basically, you know? Yeah. The other thing that would be fascinating to know about or, or fascinating to be asked or to track would be, um, even if there wasn't a return of, of substance-related addictive behaviors or illicit addictive behaviors, if, if there was an honest assessment of other addictive behaviors that were rising to the surface post-treatment, like, like cell phone use, like screen time, like, like food addictions or sex addictions or, or someone who returned to smoking or now drinks 20 cups of coffee a day or whatever that may be. Um, because you know, as we've talked about, like uh, we are simply trading one um, one strategy for another in in some circumstances, and mm-hmm. and to say that you went through a treatment program uh, for addiction doesn't mean to say that they removed all of your addictive behaviors or put on some ironclad shield so that you will never engage in an addictive behavior again. So it'd be interesting to know if other things are spiking up for people. Um, on the other side of a program. Yeah, for sure. And that's really all we have, right? So I think we're throwing away a tremendous amount of data by not putting the onus on treatment centers to do some kind of a follow-up. It doesn't have to be super expensive, but there's ways that you could do it um, where, you know, you, you could offer incentives on the, it could be the direct cost of treatment. It could be a third party who's, well, you'd want a third party to do the study anyway. So you would either be government subsidized, yeah. whatever. It doesn't matter as long as you uh, track some of these variables that we could, I mean, there's probably tons of little uh, nuanced connections 
that we're missing and could be very useful to somebody in the beginning. That's just yeah. being, you know, even when they do track things uh, like employment, it's never meaningful employment or job satisfaction. Those types of things are not, and I get that they're difficult to track. It would require more work, yeah. but it's usually, um, it's usually people from lower socioeconomic uh, uh, areas where they're, you know, basically they're just, they're at a, a point where they're either on the street or going to be on the street. And that seems to be where they do most of that type of tracking, you know, where it's a very obvious variable that's really going to infect, uh, affect the individual. But, you know, what about the, like all, every time a pharmacist, nurse, like when we were both sent, we basically received sub optimal treatment, no matter how you cut it, because the evidence suggested anything less than 90 days in patient or out is ineffective as yeah. in it makes no difference in comparison to uh, just not being treated at all. That's what the numbers seem to indicate. Right. So mm-hmm. at 90 days, you start to get some kind of uh, effect going on, but you know, a positive thing that could be taken out of that experience if for the individual courses that we learn some tools and stuff that maybe will come in uh, will be helpful later on, but that Institute whatever treatment center you're going to could be pulling all sorts of studies. And, and in that time frame, you could get, um, you know, you should have a, an intake program that's just dialed right in, right. You know, looking for uh, certain types of backgrounds, uh, length of drug use, all those things should be recorded in a database. And then there should be maybe even a, a government stipulation that to operate uh, you need to be tracking this kind of data for X amount of years, that kind of thing. Don't they want to know that? Like to me, that seems well, really important. Like <laughs> if I was if I was running a, a an institution like that, I would sure want to know. Like, hey, what are the, what are the five year numbers look like? What are the ten year numbers look like? Um, I would at least be curious. <laughs> yeah, and it, that's something that if you look into that, it's actually quite funny uh, how people they've they've made all sorts of different comparisons with uh, you know especially in the uh, like the Minnesota model or the traditional model where you, you go, it's usually inpatient setting, 12 step based, that kind of thing in that model, it's a disease. So for all intents and purposes, that's how it's treated. Yet, if you put the, if you put people with so-called drug and alcohol addiction disease, whatever you want to call it next to somebody with like uh, hypertension or diabetes, the people who go on those medications or go into those treatment protocols are usually monitored at least yeah. somewhat, right? Where yeah. they're, they're tracking numbers, they're watching what's effective. We adjust the dose. We, you know, we look at your lifestyle. We do all these things to try and use every angle we can to give you the best chance of success of hitting a target, right? But in this one, there's not even a real target established no. other than an abstinence, which is not a realistic target. It's not a realistic target based on what we know about whatever this is disease or not. Absolutely. Yeah. Great question. Yeah. So it's, <laughs> it almost, uh, you could look at it and I think some people do where it seems like they're not interested in tracking those numbers because it would not look good. I, I think if the public in general knew how little of an impact those most, I shouldn't say most, but many treatment centers have very little 
effect on what's going to happen with that individual in the future. You know? Yeah. It would call into question a lot of, uh, a lot of aspects of those facilities for sure. And they're government subsidized, right? Many of them yeah. in the States are too. So they're constantly, you can see this effort to put out data to support, not just uh, the models that they're using, but the length of stay, right? So you really got to look at those, that data kind of, you got to be careful with what you're accepting as, as evidence. I should say so. 